Almas Bar Radio. Notes and commentary on Arab and Islamic issues from Almas Bar Studies and Research Center in Dubai. Shiism in Egypt, a topic of intense growing interest inside the country and in the broader Arab region, has not received adequate attention from researchers. The 77th monthly book from Al-Misbar Center aims to change that. It's a collection of studies on the country's Shiites, the first of its kind, offering a foundation on which more detailed and comprehensive work on the subject can be based. We publish this volume at a time of lethal Shiite-Sunni sectarian strife in Arab lands. More than in the past, many of the region's scholars of religion feel compelled to pick a side in the ongoing conflict, and as a result, the tone and substance of their writing is often emotionally and politically inflected. Rather than attempt to steer clear of such work, Al-Misbar Center has decided to acknowledge and embrace it. The papers in this volume were penned by Shiites as well as Sunnis, several boldly advocating their ideological and political views along the way. We treaded lightly in editing their work, striving to achieve a larger balance by publishing material from both sects and diverse perspectives. The book also contains scholarly work that truly rises above the fray, approaching this delicate subject as close to dispassionately as any vested party can. Viewed as a whole, this collection is not only a rare source of information and reporting on Shiism in Egypt, but also an intellectual barometer of how Egyptians across the doctrinal spectrum relate to the tensions in their society today. First, some context. The aftermath of the January 2011 Egyptian Revolution saw new steps toward a historic rapprochement between Sunni-majority Egypt and the Shiite Islamist Republic of Iran. But widespread worry ensued among Egyptians that as a result of the improving relations, Iran could gain greater influence in the country. Alarms were raised in the public discussion about an alleged Shiite expansion nationwide. It was a backlash of sorts against the attempt at rapprochement with Iran. By consequence, some of Egypt's longtime advocates of bridge-building between Sunnis and Shiites came to feel that their efforts were futile. Others, meanwhile, persisted in trying to foster dialogue between the faiths, as this book will show. But is Shiism really expanding in the country? And if so, is it a source of danger, as some believe? What is the extent of the expansion, and what are the means by which it occurs? How do the religious scholars of Al-Azhar, Egypt's premier institution of Islamic learning and leadership, view the matter? Where do the various Salafi groups and Sufi orders stand? How do these and other local groups envision the future of Shiism in Egypt? Our researchers have taken on these and other questions from a variety of angles. The book opens with a study by Ahmed Abdurrahim, director of the Renaissance Center for Cultural Understanding in Sudan, which is premised on the notion that conversion to Shiism in Egypt today needs to be understood in its historical context. The paper begins with a tour of the sectarian history of the Al-Azhar Mosque. At its inception, Al-Azhar served as a religious stronghold for Shiites. But after the fall of the Shiite Fatimid Empire under which the institution was built, Al-Azhar passed into the hands of Sunnis. With present-day concerns in mind, Abdurrahim segues from pre-modern history to Azhari perspectives on Shiism today, with a particular focus on the question of Shiite-Sunni rapprochement. 
Among Egypt's historic champions of Shiism was a 19th century scholar and cleric, Jamal ad-Din al-Afghani. In the past, some scholars speculated that Afghani had embraced Shiism himself. The list of those who did includes such luminaries as al-Afghani's disciple, Muhammad Abdu, and the 25th Grand Sheikh of al-Azhar, Salim al-Bishri. Abdurrahim presents reasoned skepticism about such claims. He also questions an influential book first published in 1930, Muraja'at, Studies in English, which makes the case that Bishri too was a secret convert to Shiism. Muraja'at has been published in English under the title The Right Path. The claim in Muraja'at is based on a questionable interpretation, in the researcher's view, of correspondence between Bishri and the author of the book. Leading Shiite cleric Sharaf ad-Din al-Musawi. Who, if any, among Egypt's leading clerics may have secretly embraced Shiism is the subject of a fierce debate in the country now. Abdurrahim's sober examination of the matter offers a means by which to go beyond acrimonious disputes, perhaps to foster a more constructive dialogue instead. The paper goes on to explore attitudes among al-Azhar's leading scholars toward attempts at transsectarian bridge-building, particularly over the past few decades. He finds that al-Azhar never reached consensus about whether to support such efforts at Shiite Sunni rapprochement. Instead, there was an internal tug-of-war, and a long series of steps forward followed by steps backward. Sometimes such shifts were a function of shifting political circumstances. At other times, they were simply a reaction to statements and actions taken by Iran's government of clerics in pursuit of their regional ambitions. Discomfort with Iran, shared by some of al-Azhar's leading scholars, also delayed the decision to accept Jafarism as a legitimate Islamic legal doctrine alongside the four traditional Sunni doctrines. Eventually, fatwas issued during the Nasser years by then Grand Sheikh of al-Azhar, Mahmoud Shaltut, as well as others like him, did permit worship in Egypt according to Jafari legal tradition. Such fatwas generally played down differences between Sunnis and Shiites. The study continues into the aftermath of Egypt's 2011 revolution. Abdurrahim takes stock of views on Shiism by the current Grand Sheikh of Al-Azhar, Ahmed al-Tayyib, as well as the more strident Egyptian Salafis, outspoken in their opposition to attempts at converting Egyptians to Shiism. The researcher also examines the landmark visit of Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad to Egypt in spring 2013, arguing that its impact was on the whole negative. The Grand Sheikh of Al-Azhar used it as an occasion to subtly criticize the Shiite doctrine, arousing in turn the resentment of Tehran. Khalid Muhammad Abdu, a researcher at the Dal Center for Research Studies and Media Production, takes a favorable view of efforts at Sunni-Shiite rapprochement. His paper cites noted philosophers and others calling for rapprochement as an essential component of the principle of pluralism. He finds echoes of these ideas, moreover, in the convictions of at least some of al-Azhar's senior scholars. Maher Farghali, a scholar specializing in Islamic affairs, examines the most important Shiite political parties, associations, and organizations in Egypt, noting their history, goals, and the circumstances of their establishment.
He delves as well into these groups' founders and leaders. Conveying discomfort, he charges that Shiite groups exploit the innate religiosity of the Egyptian people, insinuating their ideas into the society through cultural and economic means. Despite the fact that the myriad Shiite organizations in Egypt appear to share the same goals, Farhali has also uncovered behind-the-scenes tensions and conflicts within their ranks. Additionally, Farhali maps the physical installations of Shiites in Egypt, their mosques, schools, publishing houses, and so on, providing salient details about each. Capping his study, Farhali asserts that he has indeed found evidence of Shiite expansion within Egyptian society and expresses his fear that it will threaten civil peace. Fatima Hafez, a doctoral candidate in the history department at the University of Cairo, contributes a paper on sectarianism in the country's official fatwas, as well as the country's Salafi groups. She examines rulings on Shiites in particular, both before and after the 2011 revolution. A very large number of fatwas on Shiism were issued by the Dar al-Iftah, that is, the office of the Grand Mufti of Egypt, since its inception in the reign of the Ottoman Viceroy Abbas Hilmi in 1895. But moving forward in time, Hafez finds no fatwas concerning the Iranian Revolution, the Iran-Iraq War, or Sunni-Shiite rapprochement. There is one partial exception, the Grand Sheikh of Al-Azhar, Gad al-Haq Ali Gad al-Haq, who died in 1996, once issued a fatwa citing Shiite scholars as authorizing in principle a truce between Shiite leaders and their non-Muslim enemies. Yet Gad al-Haq's fatwa transmits the Shiite ruling without explaining or expounding on it in any way. Hafiz demonstrates next that Egyptian fatwas concerning Shiism had not been particularly strident in the first half of the 20th century, but subsequently grew more so, probably owing to political reasons. A portion of her paper concerns the present Grand Mufti of Egypt, Sheikh Ali Guma'a, who worked persistently to foster bridge-building with Shiites until the 2011 revolution, then altered his position. From high-level official fatwas, the researcher moves on to those of myriad Salafi groups in present-day Egypt. Salafis unanimously reject Shiism as a doctrine, dubbing it misguided and wrong. But there is some variety, Hafez notes, in the positions Salafi groups take on Shiite-Sunni rapprochement. On the one hand, Sheikh Muhammad Ismail al-Muqaddam, one of the leading clerics of the Da'wah al-Salafiya movement in Alexandria, does not see any way to bridge the gap between the two sects. This view is shared by another Salafi group, Ansar al-Sunnah al-Muhammadiyah, on the other hand, the hardline Salafi al-Jama'a al-Islamiyya draws a distinction between doctrine and political considerations with respect to Shiites. While firmly opposed to Shiite theology, the movement voiced support for the Lebanese Shiite group Hezbollah in the Hezbollah-Israeli War of July 2006, the only Salafi group in Egypt to do so. The Iranian government, it should be mentioned, has named a street in Tehran after Egypt's Khalid Islambouli, a member of al-Jama'a al-Islamiyya himself, who assassinated Anwar al-Sadat in 1981. The author of the next study, Egyptian national Salem al-Sabbagh, is both a researcher on Islamic issues and a Shiite convert himself. Among the papers in this book, Sabbagh's is the most enthusiastic about bridge-building efforts. To persuade readers of his position, Sabah argues that Shiite-Sunni rapprochement might actually stem the growing tide of Egyptian conversion to Shiism by reducing clashes between the two sects on satellite television. The author also expresses his belief that the real enemy is not Iran, but Israel.
He defends the Iranian position on the present civil war in Syria, alleging that Western powers have armed the opposition in order to break up the country into sectarian mini-states that only serve what he calls the Zionist entity. Building on this logic, he goes on to opine that al-Azhar is serving as a tool for America in its regional strategies, and he claims that the success of Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood, then the country's ruling power, is largely due to its alliance with Iran, an alliance the author approves of as a counterweight to the, quote, American Zionist project, unquote, in his words. This volume also features two studies about the interplay of Shiism and Sufism in Egypt. Sufism, the mystical strand in Islam, has a long and distinguished history in the country. The first of these two studies, which puts the topic in historical perspective, was penned by Muhammad Hilmi Abdul Wahab, a researcher at the German Institute for Oriental Studies. Training his eye on the early formative period of Islamic history, the author gives cause to question the long-standing view that Shiism and Sufism were extensively interrelated from the start. The second of the two papers on Sufism and Shiism in Egypt comes to us from Bilal Mu'min, a specialist in Islamic mystical studies. Mu'min surveys the spectrum of Egypt's Sufi orders and Shiite groups with contemporary politics in mind. On the one hand, he shows that most Sufis and Shiites share an extensive tradition of religious pilgrimage to the tombs and shrines of saints, in and of itself a strong basis for rapprochement. On the other hand, there are strong doctrinal differences and degrees of tolerance for the other among Shiites and Sufis vary considerably. Among Sufi groups that advocate for outreach to Shiites, moreover, they appear to do so for different reasons. Mu'min notes that the Muhammadiyah Sufi clan has a tradition of calling for a transcendent Muslim unity that has little to do with contemporary Egyptian politics vis-à-vis -vis Iran. By contrast, the Al-Azayim Sufi sheikhs, also proponents of transsectarian bridge-building, publicly visit Iran and maintain relations with its clerical community. Next, we hear from journalist and Iranian affairs specialist Mahmoud Jaber, another Egyptian convert to Shiism. Jaber takes us back to Shiism's beginnings in Egypt, arguably the years 656 to 661 CE, when the country was a province of the fourth Islamic caliph, Ali bin Abi Talib. This was the period of Ali's historic dispute with Muawiyah, who went on to succeed Ali after the latter was assassinated, the formative schism that crystallized and defined the essence of Shiism as we know it today. Jaber takes us on to the period of the Fatimid Caliphate in the 10th century CE, when Shiism flourished. Following the fall of the Fatimids, Shiism waned in Egypt. Only pockets of Shiism survived into the modern period, when the Egyptian state dealt a series of further blows to them. The author notes that in recent decades, the government would expose and disband organizations proselytizing for Shiism in Egypt, an illegal practice, while at the same time pursuing cultural rapprochement and cooperation with Iran in various ways. Jaber points out that, however small the presence of Shiism in Egypt may be, they have not achieved important rights to which they are entitled, notably the right to establish political parties to represent them. The book also contains a dialogue with one of the most prominent Shiites in Egypt, Muhammad al-Durini, conducted by Muhammad Helmi Abdul Wahab. We have also seen fit to include the field report on Shiism in Africa, which was recently issued by the Fact-Finding Committee for the Board of Trustees for the World Federation of Muslim Scholars, courtesy of the Na'ma Center for Research and Studies. Both these items contain information and reporting of great value to the study of Shiism in Egypt and the region today. 
Amnisbar Center would like to thank the diverse community of researchers who made this book possible, as well as single out the invaluable contribution of Muhammad Hilmi Abdul Wahab, who oversaw the project from beginning to end. You've been listening to Al-Misbar Radio. For more information about the center and its work, or to contribute research to our monthly publications, browse www.almesbar.net.